Welcome to Practice Care with Carl White, the podcast where we help practice owners in healthcare know just enough about the business side to make good business decisions and keep their practices independent. Now our host, Carl. If you build it, they will come is not a strategy, it's hope. And in the case of telehealth, it's also misleading. Who's going to come? Everyone thinks the patients will, but what if your own providers and staff resist using it to begin with? There's a mindset that needs to be in place for telehealth to succeed, and my guest today is going to tell us all about it. I'm Carl White, Principal at Bark Advisory Group, which is a healthcare marketing agency, and I'm also the host of Practice Care. The mission for both is the same, and that's to help private practice owners stay private. Not only is that usually what they want, but care is better when the provider owns the practice because that's when they're going to have the most freedom to make the clinical decisions that they think are necessary. It's just different, as every provider has told me, when somebody else owns the practice, whether it's a hospital, health system, whoever it might be, eventually the agenda of the owners gets into the ear of the provider and nobody ever gets hurt, but it can force some compromises, harder work. Let's just see if we can avoid all that and help them stay private. And my guest today is Christian Molaster. Christian is the founder and CEO of Ingenium Digital Health Advisors, a boutique consultancy focused on accelerating the adoption of digital health innovation to enable the effective delivery of extraordinary care. Since 2007, he has designed and implemented numerous digital health and telehealth services in health systems, health centers, and clinics. Born, raised, and educated as an engineer in Germany, Christian started his career at IBM Global Services before joining the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, where he worked for 12 years in various roles before launching Ingenium in 2012. Christian, thank you for coming on Practice Care. Well, thank you so much for having me here, Carl. Really great to be here. Yeah, you have a cool background, as many guests do. Kind of a teaser in the bio, and I want to start with you where I start with every guest. Help us get to know you better, kind of fill in some of the gaps. I'm curious how you you know, we know you started in Ingenium in 2012. What was the, you know, the impetus for that? And what do you guys focus on? Well, I don't know about the teasers, whether it's I'm German or I've worked at the Mayo Clinic. So. It's all, it's all of it. <laughs> all, all of the above. Just take it yes. all. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I always like to say I was born, raised and educated as an engineer in Germany. And I'm bringing that into my practice um, as as well. Um the way this all really started is, is me um, uh, uh, getting into healthcare in early 2000 at the Mayo Clinic, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it was not an industry I had worked in before, and I was just, after a few months, uh, shocked and appalled by the, the poor technology that was thrown at the clinicians. My, my focus has had been on, on the user experience, on really when, when users use, especially in this case, uh, software or any engineering solution, right? It's got to be user-friendly. It's got to be serve the purpose. And right. so when somebody showed me what an EHR was, I was uh, very uh, uh, surprised, to say mm-hmm. it lightly. <laughs> and so I'm, now I'm jokingly saying I'm doing penance for the sins committed by <laughs> engineering <laughs> onto healthcare. Uh, with that abomination called the EHR, because it was just, I said, I I, I can do this better in, in my summer project. <laughs> or, it's, or my- it's something I like go to my own doctor's off, you know, I'll, I'll go to my own appointment or I'll go with my, my kid to the pediatrician and just it's clicking and typing and, and they've, yeah. they've got it down, but it's good 20 or 30 clicks for each thing. And right. wow. They, they've been doing it for a few years. So it wasn't, it was never designed. And so um, being uh, understanding the power that technology has um, and having an affinity for technology, I have now made it kind of my professional life's uh, uh, mission to help clinicians to deliver, as you said in the introduction, extraordinary care mm-hmm. uh, to their patients, because that's what I learned at the Mayo Clinic, that the needs of the patients are the only needs to be considered. Yeah. 
the founder said, or the needs of the patients comes first, the modern version of that statement. And I've worked with so many great clinicians and I, I, I saw them struggling with not having the right data and right decision tools, right? And so it's uh, as a physician uh, and engineer's uh, uh, view of, of, of clinic, uh, clinical care is, is you, make, you make a diagnosis, mm -hmm. you a treatment plan, then you manage the treatment plan, and then you hope they don't come back. <laughs> so, right. Um, and, and so if you break it down like that, what services, uh, what, what solutions, what technology solutions, but even more importantly, what workflows can we provide to do mm -hmm. that? And so when I had the opportunity in 2012 to launch my own consulting firm, I was ready. Somebody turned to me and said, how can we secure expertise for our organization? I said, you can hire me as a consultant and Ingenium was born. Um, and so I've been doing this for almost 12 years now, um, growing it now for the last two or three years into a boutique consulting firm. And we're having a lot of fun working directly with clinicians, helping them so that they can really practice as uh, on top of the license, meaning that they don't have to do all this administrative uh, uh, overhead work or the technical troubleshooting work. Which will be music to every clinician's ears who's <laughs> who's listening. And, and how much of your of your practice is telehealth as opposed to other, um, you know, about 70 80 percent so we okay. we're focusing on uh, also the enablers of, of uh, just doing telehealth well which is uh, organizational strategy and and uh, helping leadership leaders to to run the organizations well we work uh, with uh, a lot of community health centers smaller smaller clinics smaller uh, organizations with four or five clinics yeah. spread spread across a large geographic area. And so, so we're working on that side. I work with some digital health startups as well uh, on, on the same problem. It's like once they sold their solution, how do you actually get clinicians to use it powerfully? Because uh, uh, selling marketing uh, or, or developing marketing and selling it is one point, but then you actually get, you need to have physicians to actually right. use it. So we're working on that side of the aisle. But yes, telehealth is about 80% of our okay. business. It's a big part. So, and talking about telehealth as, as you and I are going to talk about it today is different. I was thinking about this before we been getting ready for this interview. So before COVID, telehealth was all here in the States, was all wrapped up in insurance. What's it covered? You would hear things like, you know, I could have a follow-up visit with my Dr. X. And if I went to, if I went to Dr. X's office, the reimbursement would be, you know, full. Mm -hmm. um, it would be partial if it were over the phone instead or any sort of tele-environment, even if the appointment could have been done that way to begin with. So talking about mindset process never really got to the top because nobody wanted to do it. I'm overstating it because the, the financial incentive wasn't there. It kind of made no sense. I even had a back and forth with a doctor on a follow-up visit a few years ago. It was all through the app, through the, the hospital systems app, and she didn't get paid anything. If I had gone in instead, we would have had a carbon copy conversation and right. she would have got paid in full. Um, yeah. Then COVID hit and it flipped everything on its head in about 24 hours. And it said, now you got to do this. We're going to cover it full. And nobody stopped to think about mindset because there was no other way, right? And so telehealth has had this, to my experience, at least this sort of roller coaster existence of either nobody wants it, so to speak, or everybody has to. Maybe now it's normalizing. We could think about how to actually bake it into the, you know, to the workings of a practice properly. So, um, you know, with that, like, how can telehealth help a practice reach its goals? Uh, and we were talking about this. We don't just mean financial goals, um, right. staff satisfaction, which nobody talks about, even though lots of people should. Patient satisfaction, we all talk about that all the time. So how how can, you would think it's got to, you know, if Dr. X could get on the phone and have a follow-up with a patient, 
man, that sounds easy to me, but what do I know? I, this is how I live my life. So, so help us with this, you know, goals, satisfaction, how, how can telehealth make a real difference? Lots, lots to unravel there. Yeah. And I'll get back to that in a minute, but I just wanted to com comment on the reimbursement situation. Actually, uh, unbeknownst to most people is, is there was a lot of reimbursement for telehealth before COVID even hit. Um, uh, Medicare, you could get reimbursed, not to the patient's home, but into mm -hmm. other clinics. Um, the private insurers, a lot of states had coverage and parity laws already in place that private insurers had to pay for it. Uh, Medicaid um, in a number of states were already paying for telehealth. And so mm -hmm. it's important to understand that, yes, COVID brought it, obviously uh, uh, increased it by a hundredfold um, utilization and it, and it opened up new pathways for reimbursement. But reimbursement mm -hmm. was always there. Uh, not for telephone-based care, but for video-based, uh, live audio video-based care. It was there. It was there, another aspect of telehealth, um, which I define as delivering care at a distance, mm -hmm. um, was uh, remote physiological monitoring, right? Uh, taking your blood pressure, the scales, kind of that, that kind of insights. That is also telehealth. So okay. And when I say telehealth, I mean mostly video visits, but it has other elements to it. And then once we get out of the environment, love what you're talking about, secure asynchronous messaging, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is really the future of care delivery um, in a, in a value-based uh, environment. And then if you're in an ACO or have a capitated uh, payment, um, then it doesn't matter. Then you use whatever is the right tool. Right. So just uh, wanted to comment on that to dispel that uh, myth that there was no reimbursement for telehealth before COVID because there was plenty. So it was still a mindset <laughs> and a yeah. problem. Um, it was just not as uh, urgent uh, to figure things out uh, as it was uh, during, during, during COVID. But back to your question. So um, I like to think as a as in te telehealth in kind of two different ways, and that's and I'm 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 happy that uh, this this uh, your podcast is aiming at uh, clinicians as well as business owners because I see telehealth as two things: a clinical tool that clinicians can wield whenever it is the right way to deliver care. Mm -hmm. so that's the first thing uh, truly really, that it's a mindset right it's like it's an alternative care delivery method that i can choose if i think that for this particular patient this is the right way to have continuity of care or care coordination um, or whatever is needed to take care of this patient yeah the second is that telehealth is absolutely a strategic tool because it can help you with all five areas that your business is concerned about, with the service quality, um, with the clinical quality and outcomes, um, with the financial picture of uh, additional revenue streams, or right because a telehealth visit, even if it's reimbursed at a lower rate, which in most cases it is not, is still better than than a blank space on your provider's calendar, because mm -hmm. um, it still generates revenue and um, and as, as well as so I had quality, gross service, people. Um, right, staff satisfaction, physician right. satisfaction, attracting providers to your to your practice, um, and then the last thing um, is uh, maybe community. Right, how are you are integrated into the community? How are you serving your community? Those are mm -hmm. kind of the five common pillars of uh, strategic plans of uh, any kind of healthcare organization. And telehealth helps in all five of those. Um, so let me let me go through or just pick yeah. a few. So stop me, right? So let's let's actually talk about staff and and clinician satisfaction. Mm -hmm. um, uh, healthcare delivery, in essence, um, is is a workflow. It's a process. Certain steps need to happen, right? Let me walk you through. 
has a patient, shows up in the waiting room, is being checked in, copay is being collected, they wait, a nurse takes them back to the room, they get the vital signs checked, take the chief yeah. complaint. Um, then the clinician comes in, reviews the chief complaint, knows the, the copay has been collected and everything, goes through the history, decides on the next action, and then there's a follow-up visit. What most people have failed to do and still have failed to do is to redesign telehealth for this seven-step process. Mm. Uh, Right. There's scheduling, there's rooming, there's the visit, there's post visit, there's reimbursement, and then there's a couple other steps. And so the first um, in order for a clinician to be satisfied and staff to be satisfied, uh, I always like to say clarity is kindness. Like if you know what is expected of you, if you know what you need to do, um, then you can follow the steps and you can be successful. What mm -hmm. do clinicians want to do? They want to focus on providing patient care. They want to have all the information available to make good decisions. Uh, whether it's about a diagnosis or whether it's about the care plan or how well the care plan is, is the treatment plan is working. And so um, so it's all really in the workflow design. And that's why telehealth, when done well, um, can be a great, uh, uh, can be highly satisfying because for the first time, somebody has actually taken the time to take a look at the processes that need to be optimized. When, whereas most processes in, in healthcare organizations have organically grown over the last decade or last 20 years, and nobody actually took a look or very few people take a look at what's the efficiency, what's the effectiveness, how do we train new people? And so in a sense, uh, we're coming in with a Trojan horse of showing how process design and technology implementation can be done well. But that knowledge that when we help in a clinic to do that can be transferred to any, any other things, because ultimately our vision is to enable the delivery of extraordinary care. And it doesn't have to be always telehealth. So so are you saying that telehealth as it's available right now does not fit the current process of treating a patient for, for a, a it, patient? It, it, well, telehealth, oh, it's it, like square peg, round hole, kind of, sort of. No, it's uh, it's it's just nobody gave it a thought, right? I mean, three years ago, right, in in uh, at the beginning of COVID, it was like, here's a Zoom, here's a webcam and a Zoom license, now do telehealth, <laughs> right? Right. Um, that that kind of was the mindset, and but nobody thought about well, how do we schedule a patient? How do we prepare? How do we room a patient? Um, before they actually show up? How do we collect their vital signs? How do we um, right? How do we check in with them? That process was rarely defined. Um, sometimes it was a phone call by a nurse. Oftentimes it was just a text that was sent, a text message that had a link in it and you clicked on the link and suddenly you stumbled into the uh, either waiting room or into the <laughs> actual the virtual exam room. Right. Um, and, and then the physicians didn't know, right? We're, we're, we're recording this here on Zoom. They didn't know they need to look into the camera, establish a little connection, right? acknowledging what's going on nobody has trained them on what we call the website manners um oh interesting <laughs> um, so, so bedside and website yeah manners nobody's trained them on that and so so it's it's not a uh, it's not a square pregnant round hole problem it's really you needed to redesign the workflows and uh, for and optimize it for that disconnected experience because the patient is in one location and and and, and the clinician and the staff are in a different location right and you need to redesign the workflows the other element, the really key kicker for really great experience is a telehealth tech check. Um, somebody calling the patient before the first visit and saying, hey, you're doing telehealth here for the first time with us. Just want to make sure the technology works. Uh, I see in your background, you've got a very bright window there. So you may want to reposition yourself so mm -hmm. the 
can see your face and uh, see you having a cell phone make sure do you have a stand or somewhere where you can prop it up rather than holding it in your hand because that's a little trick right so in a five, 10 minute call, um, you can really empower a patient to feel comfortable about using the technology. And that makes the clinician absolutely happy because they just zoom in, the patient looks great, sounds great, has great lighting, they know what's going on, and you can focus just like in an in-person visit on right. the problem at hand. Well, so let me ask the, the question a little bit of your way, because the question is, how can a telehealth help a practice reach its goals yes. um, with regard to satisfaction? How can it help it reach its goals maybe better than not having it? Because um, I want to make sure I get the the essence of the, of what you're thinking. Sure. Yeah. Well, because there's a lot of rework to do, right? I mean, the processes have to be. Not that it's not worth it, but uh, yeah. if you take if you take the standard process today of you know step one to step whatever final, uh, with a patient going to an office for a visit, you say just layer telehealth capabilities on top of it. What I'm taking is not going to necessarily work very well because it wasn't designed for right. a telehealth visit experience. It was designed for an in-person experience. Right. So how can it do better? Um, the way it increases satisfaction is that uh, when, when the workflow is consciously and, and carefully designed, uh, it, it really focuses on optimizing for the clinician's time um, to focus just on the care experience. Um, okay. So uh, I, I would not venture to say that it is more that telehealth is more satisfying than in-person visits. <laughs> so that that is not yeah. my um, but telehealth done well can be as satisfying uh, or even uh, just even, even more satisfying uh, uh, than it is. For some people, they want to work part time. Uh, they want to maybe work from home. Uh, right. Just spending a day away from from the clinic and just maybe knocking out a day of telehealth uh, follow up visits. Um, mm -hmm. It's just really great. Um, right. If you're um, again, if, if if clinicians are in, in transition, uh, maybe they just uh, had a baby or they're staying at home or they're a caregiver, sure. right? Um, you can provide some flexibility. You don't longer have to come into the clinic. Um, and the idea is that when telehealth is done well, it it can, uh, yeah, it can be a really great experience. Um, now, if you have a well-oiled machine in in your clinical practice where the workflows are well designed, again, you work with in, uh, in smaller clinics, you work with just a handful of people, and so you really have designed it the way it's optimized for your work style. Right. But if you have a few other providers, if it's more than just you, right? If you have four, five, seven providers, then you get some very variability in your processes, and this is where telehealth is much more predictable and much more. Um, Enjoyable. Got it. So, okay. So that helps. So if, if, um, if it's an in-person visit, a well-optimized process looks like this. If it's a telehealth visit, a well-optimized process looks like that. Right. Don't just layer one on top of the other. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally see your point. If, if, right. if both parties, patient and clinician could be sort of anywhere at any, at any time, but anywhere you can sort of see it uh, happening. If you're thinking about a primary care practice, what do you care about, right? You, you've got a lot of patients with chronic diseases, and you just want to make sure that you're taking good care of them, right? You mm -hmm. see them once a month, you see them every three months, depending on the comorbidities that they have. And and so if, if patients cancel because they can't make it, or they don't have the gas money, or they have two jobs Whatever. and, yeah. and don't, don't, couldn't find childcare, and you can still serve them 
right? If they say, thank you, doctor, for doing this over telehealth, I, I wouldn't have been able to make it. And I know you would have renewed my prescription, but I really wanted to talk about a few things that have been happening and I wouldn't have been able to make it in, right? That also increases the satisfaction because it's about continuity of care and, and proper care coordination. Yeah. Um, and so really that's that's why I think telehealth and, and in-person care as a hybrid care delivery solution um, uh, creates extraordinary care delivery because- yeah. Because not being able to make it to the doctor is no longer an excuse for missing an appointment or or, or skipping. Uh, it doesn't have to be, right? right? It doesn't have it doesn't to be. That's for sure. And it's it's a it's a very nicely unplanned segue to the next. Because the next question I have you about, it's more about process and change management of the tech. And just my little anecdote. Different. Uh, this was a few years. This is during COVID. I had a, a, an appointment with a specialist, and I thought, well. It was an appointment with the specialist, but I get a call, kind of like a pre-call, what you said, just to make sure things are in order. And then I was told, well, this, this first call with the specialist is to figure out if you really can do this telehealth or not. To which I said, blood immediately boiling, no, it's not. It's going to be the appointment because you should have done that already. And it's going to be another month before I could see specialist X if he or she determines why haven't you done that already? And, and you know, what flashes almost sort of consciously and subconsciously for me is the rest of the world can do this. Why does this seem so much more difficult to have a conversation on video with a doctor when I can talk to anybody else on planet earth about whatever I want, security assumed? Why is this so much harder? I don't get it. And it was during COVID, so there's no reimbursement. There was no barrier. It was just the guy on the phone. And I just so, you know, so... Today, even before COVID, it, it really wasn't so much about the tech as it is about process, change management, kind of what you were saying, you know, a few minutes ago, but but just help us more. Why is it more about that? It just, you know, old habits are hard to break, change is hard. Like what do you what do you think it is? Well, what I have discerned having been in healthcare um for 23 years is that healthcare is unlike any other profession uh, in the world. It, it truly is because the consequences of poor service can be detrimental um, yeah. um, for a lifetime, right? It yeah. can be debilitating, it can be deadly. Um, and so clinicians, I think from the early days of their training, their educations, it's being drilled into the head that um, the processes we follow, the rules we follow, the practices we follow, the principles we have in place are here for a good reason, right? Disney can experiment with a new system and and, and then some people don't get into the park or they are disgruntled and then they cancel their membership, right? Mm -hmm. um, or they fix it uh, fast, yeah. Right. Um, and, and so uh, obviously it, it sometimes is, 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 is uh, compared to the airline industry, but a pilot and a physician have nothing in common, right? A pilot doesn't interact with the patients except yeah. the corny jokes that some of them do. Um, but uh, <laughs> but other than that, they, they're an operator, right? They're, they're more an X-ray technician <laughs> than they're a clinician. Yeah. So the airline industry and 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 the flight attendants that are there for the patient's safety, right? And that they're, they're service providers, and mm -hmm. uh, um, but but they're not your your servants, which is why the airline industry has changed because then uh, they were treated like servants, yeah. <laughs> they presented like that, and so they're here for your safety and security. Yeah. Uh, so and and they are so. There's 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 nothing out there like that. If if you make a mistake, uh, then then people will die. People will be will get disabled. And so I get it. I totally get it that you cannot change 
um, care willy nilly. You cannot just change out, uh, it, try a new drug, or psych, right? Or, or yeah. try a new treatment, or here, uh, try try this great drink that has helped this other person that I know. Right. right. <laughs> it's, it's it's not how this works. Um, yeah, it's riskier. Yeah. And uh, there's a research paper that did a meta-analysis. It takes them on average about 17 years for half of the physicians to adopt a new treatment protocol that was proven in a landmark clinical trial. Wow. So what does that tell us? 17 years. Well, that's from age 21 to age 38. That yeah. is the lifespan of, of a physician's education. Mm -hmm. right? That's by the time you're 35, 38, you're finally allowed to make your own decisions, but you've been indoctrinated by the rules and by the constraints um, of all your precepts and and, uh, and right. that you've had. So that by the time you come around um, and, and making your own decisions, you, you have lost that ability. And most clinicians have mm. had some, it, it was funny to see the physicians who were in their late 30s in, in the early 2010s, like 2012, when the iPhone had been like around for five years, right? So yeah. they came up and they had no clue about internet and technology and LinkedIn and Facebook and right, because they were heads down, just, just becoming a, a superb clinician. And so they kind of missed what was going on in the bigger picture. Yeah. And so this is why there is resistance to change um, because it's been uh, educated, it's been trained that change is dangerous um, for for our patients. Um, yeah. And so what so what a leader needs to do is needs to distinguish between needs to explain to his or her peers what's the difference between trying out a new drug versus delivering care in a different modality. So yeah. that's one thing. The other element that I've discerned is that physicians in their training on exams, uh, either through observation or maybe there's even module, right, is you have to be confident in whatever you say. You cannot let on that you don't know, right? You, somebody yeah. says, wow, that's an interesting case, Carl. Um, so I don't know. Um, I think I'm going to do some research here on PubMed. When, you know, that's a research phase. I'm going to just educate myself and then uh, maybe I'll find something like, no, you said, okay, Carl, I know exactly what to do. We're, yep. we're going to have to do an x-ray. We're going to do some blood work. And the next mm -hmm. time you come on, we'll, we'll have a care plan for me. We got this, we got this taken care of, but inside they may not know, or, yeah. they, may, or they may have an idea. Hope I'm right about that. Yeah. They may <laughs> they walk friend, away. <laughs> but that's, that's the training. And that's what we want as patients, right? We want that confidence, right? We don't want to be told it's like, I don't know what you got. That's, uh, that, that's, that, that must suck that you don't, right? So, no, yeah. that's not yeah. the answer. So, and when we give a webcam and a Zoom license to a physician, they're like a fish out of water, right? Mm -hmm. That is not their, they want to, when they're in the exam room, they're in control. They control the environment, they control the floor, the patient is brought to them. And what happened, right? People were not showing up in the waiting room. Then you let them in, then they were not connected. It took uh, 30 seconds to connect. Then the audio was not working. The video was not working. The flow of the conversation was not working. They were looking over here at the medical record, but not looking at the patient. Or actually they were looking at the patient down here in the corner and they were talking to them. Right, the right, time. right. Right, right. And it created this disconnected experience. They were seeing that they were not resonating with the patient, which made them even more self-conscious. And so, right, all of this can be resolved with a 20-minute training in 
in March of 2020, on the Wednesday when, when the public health emergency kind of broke, the CEO of a community health center turned to me and said, Christian, by when can we have telehealth up and running in a primary care practice? Because I was working with them on behavioral health and school-based telehealth. I said, you have it by Friday. So we worked 36 hours straight. Mm -hmm. On Friday morning, I ran two cohorts of training them on the website manners. How do you look in the camera? How do you acknowledge you're looking at UHR? How do you do all these things? And um, about uh, two thirds of the clinicians signed up for the class. And when we did satisfaction surveys the next week, they were on a 4.3, 4.5 out of five uh, uh, report. The people who didn't show up had 2.7, 3.2 um, uh, yeah. scores because they they didn't think it was going to work. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. They didn't want the training. They, they just wanted this to go away. Um, and they were feeling like a fish out of water. So I have a lot of compassion for the challenges of a physician to really wrap their mind <clears throat> which yeah. is why it's, it's about process get the patient educated and trained get the physician trained on how to do this we also have a training of, uh, by one of our uh, by our chief clinical officer um, on virtual exams how do you do a virtual exam and how you document it properly that you get paid mm. and that you document it for uh, for your colleagues as as well so but it's it's like one hour and 30 minutes of total training on process technology website manners and virtual exam that's all it takes and the confidence of physicians goes uh, up uh, astronomically uh, with that. And then they can really integrate it into the practice and use it as a tool when they see it. Yeah. Yeah. The other part, it's it's the other part about change management. Um, I was reminded there has to be a compelling reason to change, right? Yes. So COVID gave us that. I mean, it was right. as clear as day. But then COVID faded a bit. And so here we are back and some stuck with it. I don't know what the stats are, right? Some kind of, you know, yeah. re went back to what they had it before. If there's not a compelling reason to change, um, it's hard, yeah. you know, it's hard. So give me some, so let me give you some reasons. Actually, um, I, I write a weekly article on uh, telehealth and I published one this morning because it's Telehealth Tuesday and we're recording this on a Tuesday. Oh, beauty, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, I wrote about uh, uh, guiding health, uh, guiding clinicians to do telehealth well. And, and there's five elements to change management. There's you need to raise the awareness. Why is this important? Why we need to do that? So I'll come back there to that. There it is, yeah. You need to create the desire in, in order to do it. Um, you need to provide the knowledge, right? What tool do I use? How do I integrate it? How do I schedule a visit? How do I let the patient know? You need to then provide opportunities to create the ability, right? Some practice sessions, uh, some access to support if something is not working, some just-in-time learning. And then the last one, as a leader, you need to provide reinforcement, right? You really need to encourage your, your clinicians to continue to use telehealth. And if they don't want to use it, to figure out what is the root cause and how can you overcome that. Mm -hmm. Here's the reason why it's important. Um, the modern health consumer has changed. You commented on that. We can do this everywhere else. Why can't we do it here? And right now, there is, at this very moment, I would guess there is 10,000 telehealth visit going visits going on. Yeah very minute in this country, mm -hmm. um, right? There's all the virtual only care providers, uh, all the commercial health insurance companies tell you, send you postcards saying, don't go to the doctor, <laughs> please don't yeah. use this video visit. It's even free for you, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's a more, much more cost-effective way for them than going to urgent care, going to the ED. Uh, yeah. 
or even going to your primary care physician, right? Which is which is not good. Right? Mm -hmm. so I think a lot of can be missed, and then we don't have continuity of care because that visit is not documented in your primary care physician's EHR, so you don't have a medical home. So right. I think that's not the future. So, but there's tens ten thousand visits going on right now, this very very minute. Yeah. Um, and so people are doing it and they're doing it well. And it's what the modern healthcare consumer expects, right? We expect it from Amazon. We expect it from Uber. We expect it from Airbnb. We've been trained that we can have convenience. We can have immediate access. We can have feedback, right? Um, and so that's where, where this is coming from. So the pressure is coming from, from the modern healthcare consumers. The pressure is coming from the health systems and uh, from the traditional healthcare providers that have embraced telehealth. They yeah. have health coordinator they hired a health director they have a chief medical officer for virtual care or even for digital health right so they're investing in it because they see it's the future of hybrid care um and then the third element is the non-traditional competition right it's the amazons it's the apples it's the berkshire hathaway right it's all those self-insured companies that are trying to figure out to lower the cost and then mm -hmm. amazon is, is has launched a virtual first care model Right, and that is the future. If you have a problem, you first have a virtual visit, and maybe yeah. with a nurse, and then you get escalated to a clinician, or you get sent to the emergency room, or you get sent to the urgent care, or a meeting gets scheduled for in person, or probably the next step is actually tests. Um, yeah. No physician makes a diagnosis solely relying on the physical exam. Um, I have a nurse practitioner in rural Virginia at a community health center who has diagnosed co uh, colon cancer. Um, and, uh, and 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 uh, myocardial uh, no a, a stroke. She has diagnosed stroke and um, colonoscopy over a telehealth visit. Now, did she diagnose it technically? No, but she had an inkling. But based mm -hmm. on patient intake interview, she said you got to get a colonoscopy. And sure enough, uh, he had colon cancer. And for that lady, just based on the history, just uh, having the conversations, she said, okay, I think you're having you had a stroke. Um, let's bring you in. Let's have, uh, yeah. let's have tests being done, right? Nothing of that would have made a difference uh, with the physical exam, which is a lot of uh, red herring excuse by, by clinicians why they don't want to do telehealth. So competitive pressures by non-traditional providers that want to have a big piece of this lucrative healthcare pie. Yeah. And Amazon knows how to innovate. Amazon knows how to optimize the user experience. And Amazon launched Amazon Care um, I think it was what it was called uh, uh, um, uh, three years ago. Yeah, decided it doesn't work and then shut it down. Right? No clinic can do that. No hospital can do that. Mm -hmm. Right? Once you're in it, you're in it to win it. And yeah, you want to stay uh, as a physician, you can just say, okay, let me open a practice. Oh, it doesn't work. Let me do something else. No, <laughs> you're kind of stuck doing medicine. Yeah. And here so you got to figure it out. And and those are the the, the challenges. And that's why I think it's imperative. Um, to wrap your mind around telehealth, because this is just the gateway drug to digital health. You got to figure out how to integrate digital health innovation, starting with telehealth, which is very mm -hmm. simple, so that in three, five years, you can integrate digital therapeutics, digital diagnostics into your practice, because you have learned how to take a technology and integrate it into your practice, into your workflows, and manage the change that is needed for clinicians to improve. Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, if you can get to the point where when I must be in person, I'm in person. And when I don't need to be in person, I'm not in person. I, I'll tell you, I go to, I don't go to too many doctor visits, but when I do, I walk away going, I don't wonder if we need if I needed to come in today um, or with, you know, my kids follow up visits to this or that, I'm like, 
we just kind of sat and talked and the guy typed, couldn't we have conference called? You know, I mean, like, uh, yeah. So even if you just got that right, that would be yeah. a hell of an advance, it seems to me. We, we just had two wonderful telehealth visits with an allergist uh, who runs, runs a solo practice. And he took like 45 minutes and he talked to us about all topics and about my allergy. It was for my daughter, but about mm -hmm. my allergy history, my wife's allergy history. And then, and we were all that, we were just sitting in in, <laughs> in the bedroom. Uh, on Yeah. Our computer and having this conversation we didn't have to travel because that was the visit it was a discussion and he covered everything that he needed to cover and it was relaxed and un unhurried and he got paid and we got uh, great advice and then we ordered yep. the test and then we talked about the test results and what it means but yeah i mean he's just 12 minutes away right so it's, it's not a problem of logistics but it was just as good so he definitely has embraced um yep. that this is the way that he will deliver care because whether he sees them in person or not, they still need to go somewhere else to get the testing done. Mm -hmm. Allergens, so yeah, it makes you wonder if one day, like there's there's imaging clinics around yeah. now, right? So exactly. you don't have to go to the hospital to get an image, depending on what it is. Exactly. You wonder will there be out, you know, testing clinics and just you, rather than having to come to the office, could you can you consolidate these sort of even better? You know, there, there's there's teleflebotomists out there, so the Uber of phlebotomy. There you go. Right? So they come to your home and they take your blood, like they do for the life insurance kind of assessments. Right. Um, you can have a van that parks in your driveway, and you step in, and you get it. You get a scan. You get an X-ray done. It just takes creativity to figure this right. out. Yeah. It's, it's it's already there, and 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 if usually you don't get them scheduled right away anyway, and you just drive into the neighborhood and and you just yeah. cover twenty patients uh, at the home. So yeah. Is it's it's all uh, 80, 90 percent of current in-person visits, uh, outpatient in-person visits can be done telemedically. Wow. There's 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 no reason. That's a staggering number. I believe you, but it's I just well, never right, really but, wrap my head around it. Because I always ask physicians, okay, when do you really need somebody? Yeah, okay, if if they have a wound that is bleeding, yeah, <laughs> telemedicine is not going to help. Yeah. Right, but that's treatment. But but the rest of the outpatient visits, uh, conversations, going over test results, figuring out which tests to order, um, checking in with people, um, which is why behavioral health is at 30, 40% rates. Mm -hmm. But primary care still is very conservative, right? Because yeah. it's hard to wrap your mind around that you, you, you're no longer listening to the heart and lung sounds, uh, which one primary care physician told me, he had been practicing for 30 years, and he told me 10 years ago, he said, Christian, the last... I cannot remember the last time it made a difference when I listened uh, to it because if when I listened, <laughs> I, when I listened, I already knew. I already yeah. knew. when I listened and I heard something, I already knew. It hasn't been that it had. I don't know the last time it it actually surprised me that I found something that I didn't wasn't expecting. And so, so, so yeah. So he said, "Telehealth works. Bring it on." Uh, yeah, yeah, man. We have covered a lot of ground, and I only asked you a couple of questions, but uh, I guess there were some follow ups in there. But uh, a couple of wrap up questions I ask sure. every guest to kind of bring us bring us to the finish line. Anything you think I should have asked you, or we should have talked about that just didn't come up? That's you know important for what we've talked about. Change starts at the top. It starts with a leadership mindset, and if you as a practice owner cannot get comfortable with really embracing yeah. the idea that telehealth is here to stay, um, that using technology, using even AI, which I define in healthcare as augmented intelligence, not artificial, augmented intelligence. Okay. If you cannot wrap your mind around that this is the future of care delivery, 
um then yeah then telehealth is not for you and it's not gonna it's it's gonna fail um and uh and and you and there are economic consequences uh, even now and 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 down the roads because consumers will self-select as to where they want to get uh, the level of they care. definitely will so yeah if you want to be a, a late user wait for your competition to start to close in on you and some yeah. patient leaves and, and you catch wind of well it just seems so much easier um yeah. to be a patient over you know down the street rather with you absolutely and the other you're, you're right because most practice owners the owner they're also a practicing right. you know uh provider and so you know, lead by example could never be more taken more literally, right? If right. you would be one of the ones to use it. So this isn't the kind of thing where you can walk into a staff meeting, make a proclamation, walk out and expect it to happen forevermore. No. And, and it's not very, uh, even the process redesign, which you commented on earlier, right? Is is, is not that time intensive, right? You, you you get your right team together on a Friday afternoon and and you just walk through the processes, you design you, you, you have everybody do some homework and okay, what do I want the experience to be like for our patients, for our mm -hmm. clinicians? And you start with that expectation and then you design backwards from that uh, right? with, with the help yeah. of somebody who has. Easy other thing is health organizations, uh, especially small clients, are good at running things. Mm -hmm. um, some of the better ones are good at improving things, right? They do continuous improvement, PDSA cycles. So if they're a little bit more mature yeah. and more tuned into the quality world, um, but very few clin clinics have ever launched anything new, new service line, right? Um, I mean, it's hard enough to open up another clinic, but yeah. that's, that's where we excel, right? That's our niche is we are helping uh, healthcare delivery organizations to launch something new, whether that's a new dental service or a new open up a new site or, or, or delivering care to schools or to uh, to to um, to companies in, in, in the area, right? On, on some yeah. Care. So our expertise is really enable the delivery of extraordinary care when you're doing something new. It's not about optimizing, but it's the new offerings because that takes change management, process management, process design, and and that's that's the uh, that's the that's the critical skills and expertise that we provide, just like the specialists provide uh, specialist right. expertise. Cool. And then the other question I ask is, where can somebody get started? You know, you 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 really can't be unaware of telehealth anymore, but that doesn't no. mean everybody's using it. So, you know, picture a private practice owner, they're, they're, they want to get going, but they're stuck at the starting line. Like, where do I start? What would you recommend? Ask your patients, right? It's the needs of the patients that comes first. So ask your patients, right? Um, would it be helpful to you if we do our follow-up visit over telehealth? Mm -hmm. Right. Really don't, don't make the assumption that your patients are older and they don't want it. Um, because uh, especially a lot of the the older patients are absolutely proud of themselves for having conducted a telehealth visit mm -hmm. uh, because it gives them all autonomy. They don't have to ask the grandson to drive them. They don't have to rely on somebody else. They don't, they're, they're scared driving. It gets dark. It gets slippery outside. There's, there's, there's yeah. ice on the road, snow on the road. Um, and so uh, with a little bit of help of how to help them to operate a tablet or or a computer or have a grandson help them how to get connected so i think it's 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 go back and look listen to the voice of the customer right mm -hmm. yeah uh, what are your customers telling you and then ask ask your peers it's like what who, who where are you on the spectrum of fully embracing telehealth um or being being uh, reticent about it and if you're not embracing it ask your clinicians why Right. Yeah. What support do you need? What education, what training? If they say, well, it just doesn't work, well, then you don't have a good 
honest conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you need to dig a little bit deeper. But uh, yeah, but as, as a leader first, you need to, where do you get started is you get started by just uh, figuring out the, the mindset of your clinicians and the mindset of your patients um, and use that as a starting point. And then read up. There's telehealth resource centers around the, uh, where you can yeah. ask questions. There's uh, a, a handful of uh, consultants like us who specialize just uh, on, on, on that. Um, there's, uh, as I said, I've, I've written, and I think it's going to be in the show notes, I've, I've written 210 articles now on telehealth and telehealth optimization. So there's a large number of things. Send me an email and ask me, I have questions about workflow and reimbursement, and I'll send you links Perfect. to two articles. Yeah. Self-study and then, yeah. Um, and then uh, don't don't mind paying for expertise, right? It doesn't have to be me, but don't mind paying for expertise. Yeah. Um, to to get to get you started because this is this is some this is not rocket science, but getting clinicians to use telehealth well, that is rocket science. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you know, commit to it. Yeah. Um, understand it's it's going to be a bit of a maybe a bumpy road here or there as you learn right. it. Yeah. Um, but I'll say as a patient, if if you tell me. Um, you need to come in when we need to examine or under these circuits. I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to come in anyway. Like, like I have much of a choice, but if you tell me, look, we're just having a follow-up visit and we're going to have a discussion, stay at home or wherever. And we'll just awesome. You know, I, I will, I will, the loyalty just shut up because that's very rational. It makes sense. Yes. Um, cool. Christian, thank you. Thank you for coming on practice care for opening our eyes to this. Um, it's not so much about the tech anymore. It's about, are you committed to it? And are you willing to change the processes you need to for good reasons in order to do it? So thank you very much for coming to Practice Care. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I was glad to help out clinicians, especially those who want to stay in, in charge. So yeah, definitely supportive of that. Absolutely. So Christian Molaster, we're going to put all the contact info that you provided us and the other links in the show notes um, so that anyone who wants to read more about you or contact you will be able to do so. A couple of points before we wrap up first. If you're like Christian or or us, you want to help private practice owners stay private, or if you're a private practice owner yourself and you've got some experience on the business side of practice that you think others would benefit from hearing about, let us know. We want you to come on Practice Care and tell the world about it. In the show notes for Christian's episode and every episode, there's a link, a couple of questions, tell us what's on your mind so we can get you scheduled as soon as possible. And finally, we do a new episode every week on Practice Care. The best and easiest way to stay up to date with those is to subscribe. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, Google, just about every platform. We're on YouTube. Subscribe to any one of those so that when new episodes drop, you can get them right away. Thanks very much. And until next time. Thank you for listening to Practice Care with Carl White. Make sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss another episode. You can find our guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.